This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. It's not just the thought that counts, it's your thought. Because no matter how much time you spend picking out the perfect gift, the only thing they'll really care about is that it's from you. Here's to experiences they'll continue to cherish. Season after season, make this December one to remember, together. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Welcome into today's Sports Stove podcast. Today we are joined by a special guest, Fox Sports radio host, contributor to KSR, Kentucky Sports Radio, and host of the Aaron Torres podcast, the second best sports podcast out there next to this yeah. one, of course. Uh, it's, it's Aaron Torres. Aaron, thanks for being with us. Vince, my man, it's uh, my pleasure. Uh, I know you, you and I have been trading uh, direct messages trying to get this done for a while, so I appreciate your patience with me. Uh, Happy New Year, and I'm excited to join you. Thank you very much. So let's talk Kentucky basketball. Uh, One and six start, a little underwhelming compared to the expectations that we had going into the season. Now uh, two straight wins, three and six. Why the slow start, or maybe even we could call it a bad start for Kentucky? Well, I think, you know, to me, I've said this in a lot of interviews. I've said it on my podcast for anybody who may double dip and listen to my show from time to time. Um, I think you can make a legitimate argument that Kentucky was maybe more hurt by the unique nature of this season than any program in college basketball. And it's for all the reasons that any Kentucky fan would know. Um, This is a a program that one is built on family. And so they spent all offseason together at Coach Cal's house hanging out eating uh, Coach uh, Ellen's brownies, you know, doing all that stuff. And, you know, when you don't have the bonding time one, and then furthermore, the practice time, the exhibitions, and, of course, the early season games against the, uh, you know, whoever, the the low and mid-major teams, I think it just really hurts Kentucky. And so I think, one, they're a team that is trying to figure out um, themselves on the court. I think they're still trying to get get to know each other off the court as well. And so I think when you factor in all of those things, it kind of makes sense that they're struggling, When you, especially when you factor in Keon Brooks, their only returning player from last year's team, is not with them. He's with the team, but he's not playing. Um, I think it all plays into a very explainable reason for Kentucky's early season struggles. Not saying anybody in Big Blue Nation is accepting the explanation, nor should they. You know, Calipari is well compensated. Um, You know, you don't get a free pass when you make $8 million a year. But I do think there are reasons why this has happened the way that it has. So these two wins, the Mississippi State win was really good, I thought. Vanderbilt then, they come back, they win by three. Um pretty close and Vanderbilt's no good. (laughs) So are we going to see continued improvement? Um, Are we still going to see Cal messing? Of course, with with Clark comes back from injury, if Brooks plays those kinds of things, that's going to mess with the lineups and things like that. So at what point in this season is Kentucky going to hit its stride? I mean, there's been good Kentucky teams that don't hit their stride till the first week of March. So, you know, we may still be a little ways away. Uh, I think you bring up a really important point, Vince, that I don't think anybody's really taken the time to consider is unless, you know, we're getting bad information from the school, um, you know, there is a uh, legitimate chance that, that Keon Brooks comes back sometime here in the not near, near future, but sometime pretty soon. And that's another piece that you have to readjust into the lineup as you're trying to figure out how does Dante Allen fit in? 
How does uh, uh, Isaiah Jackson fit in? How does Brandon Boston fit in? Is he best off the bench? Is how much can we play him? When it, Terrence Clark is coming back from injury, so you know these are all factors that are going to be an ongoing thing. And you know that's the one thing that I've really kind of warned, I guess you would say, for lack of a better term, Kentucky fans is. This is still an evolving process. Just because you won two in a row, uh, this isn't two, 2015 all over again. You're going to win every one of them going into the NCAA tournament from here on out. Um, I think they, they, to a degree, have turned a corner. I, I think they do have confidence. But I also think you look at that Vanderbilt game, and there's still a lot of reason for concern. Uh, Three-point shooting from Vanderbilt was pretty good. Uh, you know, Kentucky did some things that were concerning. And so, you know, kind of my stock answer is, look, I think Kentucky's proven they can play with and beat good teams. By the way, they played with Kansas. They played with North Carolina. So they can play with good teams and they can beat some teams as well. But I also think if they don't come in locked in, if they do think that uh, a two-game win streak is the summit of the mountain, is the peak of the mountain, not the base of the mountain, they could go back to to, to, to a two or three-game winning streak with what I think is a pretty – or two or three-game losing streak, excuse me, with what I think is a pretty challenging schedule coming up starting with Florida this coming weekend at Florida. The stars, so to say, have not been the, really the key players to this point in the season. Uh, you've got the, the transfer in and Mintz who's been – very solid at point guard, uh, senior at a, from Creighton. Uh, you've seen Saar has been great at times and average at times as well. You've got some of the other guys. Toppin has played well at when he's had the opportunity. Lance Ware, I love watching Lance Ware play. Um, I think he's he's not a huge offensive threat. But uh, Askew's gotten better. But uh, B.J. Boston is the one that's gotten the most attention, at least here in Lexington. Um, and, you know, Cal has been saying – you know, stay off of him and don't bother him. Don't don't talk to him, whatever. Blame it on me. And I do blame it on Cal, but we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but B.J. Boston came out with a tweet this week and he said, I don't need sympathy. Um, and I love to see that from him because it makes me realize, OK, he understands, obviously, what's being said about him. But he also is, has the mindset that he's going to go out there and take care of it as well. Is B.J. Boston, are we going to see the best of B.J. Boston before he leaves Lexington? Or is it going to be one of these things a couple years down the road in the NBA? We go, wow, why didn't he do that in Lexington? I think uh, a couple things. One, you know, and I know you know this, Vince, I'm not uh, critiquing, but, you know, we I don't think we see anybody's best in Lexington, especially these elite players. And But it is funny, though, because I thought he did have a skill set that would translate well to college. I, I was saying all offseason, I think Terrence Clark's best basketball is going to be years removed from when he's in Lexington. And we might look up and say, where was that guy in his one year at Kentucky? And so um, – we're not going to see BJ Boston's best because we're, we don't see anybody's best, but, but I, it can't get worse. It, and I feel so bad for the kid. And, and, and I think he's right. There is no sympathy. He's a five-star. He's got hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. Um, you know, he, he has built some of this expectation himself uh, with some of his preseason comments. And so he's not to be absolved here. And Oh, by the way, it's Kentucky. You come to Kentucky to be in the spotlight, be in the fishbowl, be under the microscope because it prepares you for the NBA. Um, but I also believe even before he made that comment, at some point the shots are going to start falling because they have to. I mean, this kid is too good of a shooter to be shooting whatever he is, 15, 18% from three-point land. I mean, and we're talking, I know you, you watch the games, Vince, wide open shots. I just, at some point it's going to click and when it does watch out, and I'll tell you this, and I've said this a few times, if they can get 
a better but also a more efficient B.J. Boston, that's kind of scary. I mean, you know, just think about the fact that they beat Vandy by three the other night and he only scored six points, I believe zero free throw attempts. You know, he could very easily have gotten to the line three more times without taking away anything from anybody else. And all of a sudden you go five for six, all of a sudden that three-point win is an eight-point win and it's not even competitive. And so um, I'm optimistic that he'll get it figured out, but uh, it's just I, I don't know that I've ever seen a player this good with this much hype struggle for this long. I mean, Tyler Hero had a three-week period maybe where he just didn't look like the guy that we thought he was going to. You know, there's been others at Kentucky, outside of Kentucky. But, I mean, to just a kid to be missing wide open shots, it's just unbelievable to me. It really is. So that brings us to the coaching. Uh, Coach Cal, let me ask you this. Um, What do you think is Coach Cal's priority when it comes to Kentucky basketball? And I ask it meaning this. Is his priority winning? I know he wants to win. I'm not questioning whether or not Cal wants to win. Is his priority winning national championships, or is it getting these kids to the NBA? It's the million-dollar question. It's the hundred-million-dollar question. You know, it's the billion-dollar question, billion with a B. Um, You know, it's tough. It's tough. And and I, I have struggled with this internally because one of the things I've always given him credit for he does put the players first. And if a player wants to go make money, whether it's overseas, whether it's in the G League, whether it's to take your chance as a pro or whether it is as the number one or number two overall pick, he encourages them and he doesn't hold them back. Um, I do think somewhere along the way, though, it's been a little twisted. It's been a little mixed up in that he's paid eight million dollars a year to win basketball games at Kentucky. And if a byproduct of that is that he makes a lot of people rich in the process, that's even better. And it probably should be, right? Because you're not going to win games if you don't have good players. But the byproduct needs to be winning games. And I don't want to say that, you know, he's gotten away from that because I don't think that he has. I still think he wants to win as much as anybody. But I do think at least publicly he gives off the perception that he views Kentucky as more of an NBA feeder system than he does a college basketball program that's trying to win college basketball games. And I, by the way, I think you can do both. I think as and I've been more critical of him in the last six weeks than I have been in the last fifteen years. But you know, I, I think you can do both. And I think as critical as I've been, it's easy to forget they went. You know, they won the SEC last year. I think they went fifteen and three in the league. I could be mistaken on that number. It wasn't that long ago that we were talking about get this team to the tournament with Emmanuel Quickly and Tyrese Maxey and Nick Richards. They could win a game away from the Final Four. And so absolutely you can do both. But I do think the fans that are sitting there saying too much of a priority is getting kids from high school directly to the NBA and not enough is what is going on in their time at Lexington – I think it's a fair criticism. We'll see what happens. You know, we'll see if this team turns it around, but I think it's a fair criticism. And and, and by the way, I'll wrap and I'll toss it back to you by saying I do give him credit. The Vanderbilt game, he did not have the five best long-term NBA prospects on the floor in crunch time. He had the five guys that were playing well and were going to help him win that game. So to a degree, he absolutely deserves credit for that. But I also think in the bigger 30,000-foot view as the guy who just signed a lifetime contract and in theory is going to be there another, you know, maybe six, seven, eight years, 
it's got to be a balance. It's got to be at least a balance of both. And publicly, you probably would do yourself a few favors if you if you discussed it more in the terms of winning games at Kentucky rather than just being an NBA feeder system. Yeah, and he's gotten a lot of back, especially this year with the Dante Allen situation, not playing Dante Allen, and and kind of just that very obvious to everyone that the five star guys were getting the opportunities that some some of the other guys who you know. Now, again, how many times have the fans been right? Not very often. But with Dante Allen, they appear to be right with saying he needs to be playing minutes. And uh, they finally got him in, and he, and he succeeded, did, did okay in the Vanderbilt game as well. And I, Cal said in, hit the locker room, and you mentioned on your podcast, he said it, it's on tape, you can see it for yourself. He said, now someone's going to be losing minutes because Dante Allen earned those minutes. And, uh, you know, but I think it's interesting to, to watch that uh, ridicule. It's always a pressure area in Lexington when it comes to basketball. But uh, this year it seems a little heavier <laughs> than what I've noticed in the past. Um, definitely Absolutely. a lot more people criticizing Cal more so than they have uh, um, as a whole, I think, in the past. How much did Kenny Payne matter to this program? You know, it's interesting, you know, because Kentucky fans and, and really even media members who are there every single day brought this up right away when he did, when he made the decision to go ahead and leave um, and I, I, I don't know that I, I guess I would probably put it best by saying I don't think I necessarily had a really strong opinion on it. Um, and I do think it works both ways where I can see on the one hand him just being the good cop. You know, the one thing that I think I was critical of that, that I don't really know that anybody else picked up on. I watched a lot of those games early and when the team was struggling, I didn't see a lot of coaching from those other guys. And I understand that, you know, Jay Lucas is new. I understand that Bruiser Flynn is new. I understand that Tony Barbie's in a new role. But when you have the highest paid, by my estimation, staff in America, you need some coaching on the sideline. And and that's not even Calipari's fault. Somebody needs to take these kids aside and say, this is this, this is that, whatever. Um, But I do think not having the the good cop to Calipari's bad cop is there. I don't know that it's hurt necessarily in recruiting. Um... So for for me, it's hard to know. I wasn't in the building every day. I don't cover the team every day like you guys where I'm talking to players every day. And I certainly know players and families and AAU people that have been involved with the program for years. I would say it's a lot, but I would say at times it's maybe a little bit overblown. And when a team struggles the way that Kentucky did to start the year, I think everybody's looking at straws to grasp at. And I think that was an easy one that, again, was maybe a little bit overblown. Something you talked about on one of your recent podcast episodes was conference tournaments. Um, what's the possibility of us not having a conference tournament this year? And with that, how does Kentucky make the tournament um, if there is no conference tournament? Well, and I think that's a huge X factor, right? If, if you're a Kentucky fan, um, but banking on going to Nashville and winning three or four games, that possibility might not be there. You know, the way that I'm kind of viewing conference tournaments at this particular moment always subject to change day by day uh we're recording here january 7th is i look at them almost like bowl games where some of them went off and it felt pretty normal and there were people in the stands and all that stuff some of them got canceled altogether. some of them were scheduled to be played and weren't and i think that you know i think a lot of conferences are going to have some tough questions to ask when it comes to that circumstance um you know i think for um you know the major conferences um, if it's an opportunity to get another team or two in the tournament, maybe they take advantage of it. Um, but you have to weigh the risk reward of say the S let's take out the SEC. Cause I think there's a lot of balance, but say, let's take the ACC, right? You, you know, that Pitt, 
Wake Forest. Um, I'm trying to think of the bad teams. Boston College. Those teams aren't going to win a tournament, right? And so yeah. is it worth – first of all, you're probably not going to have fans in the stands. Is it worth flying Boston College to play one game where they might infect Duke and then Duke might be screwed and they, their whole you know NCAA tournament landscape, if Duke's in the picture, they might either not be able to play or they might – and so – you know, it's going to be a constant balancing act. I think, you know, some conferences are going to say, like I said, it's a chance, you know, the Big Ten, we've got nine teams locked in, but we think we can get to 11. And if Penn State can pick up two more wins, they might get in. Um, you know, a one-bid league that, you know, maybe they just say, look, this is our best chance to get our best team in. Does a conference like, say, Conference USA or, or, or the WCC with Gonzaga say this might be a chance for us to get a second or third team in? So I'm not ready to rule out that they will not happen, and I'm certainly not ready to wrap my head around the possibility that they're going to happen in the way that we know them. Um, but I would lean it more towards there's fewer of them than normal. Maybe they start earlier than normal. Maybe the format is different where, you know, the ACC doesn't bring all 15 teams. Maybe they bring the top 12 or the top eight or whatever. Um, I, I it, Listen, one thing we've learned in sports this year, everything can change. At the, we, might, we might move back the national championship game in college football for Pete's sake. So, you know, if we're talking about moving back NFL playoff games and college football national championship games, I think the idea of the ACC tournament or the Pac-12 tournament looking different than normal uh, is probably not all that surprising to most people that have followed sports the last 12 months or so. The uh, Wildcats, of course, in the SEC conference, the SEC basketball has gotten better. I think uh, coaching staffs have gotten way better over the last five years or so. Um, what is the teams right now? It seems like Tennessee and Alabama, uh, Florida as well, and the SEC. What teams are the most dangerous teams in the SEC this year? When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Woo, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world! Ah, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. 
I think you nailed them. Um, you know, the first one that comes to mind is Alabama. And, and, you know, I've said this a million times. So for anybody who's heard me on any other platform, I've talked about this. But, you know, Nate Oates, uh, the Alabama head coach, after the out-of-conference portion of, of, of the, of the uh, season, they were 6-3. and three. They basically had no impressive wins. And something was going on in that locker room. And Nate Oates suspended two guys that were starters, John Petty and James Rojas. And whatever the reason was, they came back, and Alabama's 3-0 since then. They've looked awesome. Uh, <clears throat> they won it by Thompson Bowling Arena. They look really good. Tennessee, I think, has actually played pretty poorly the last two games. But I, I do think that um, they're going to be there. Florida, I've been critical of Mike White, but I think he's got them playing pretty well. Um, and you go on and on down the list, I think LSU is a challenge. Um, and I would flip it too, you know, I, and it goes back to what we kind of started with, with Kentucky of there's no off nights in this league. Like you said, the coaching is so good where, you know, I don't think Ole Miss is a great team, but you let them play the knock them down, drag them out game that they want to play in the fifties where they can get up in you. They're going to beat you. Texas A&M is going to get better that, you know, Buzz Williams, people forget was the SEC coach of the year last year. They're going to get better throughout the season. Um, I've mentioned all the, the top, top, top teams. So to me, it's just it's it's interesting where we're at with this conference where, like you said, there are no nights off. It's a credit to Kentucky, by the way, to getting to two and zero to this point. There's only, I think, two undefeated teams left. Uh, uh, Alabama, Kentucky and South Carolina, who just played their first game um, and they might have even lost. I can't remember. But the point I'm trying to make, there's a lot of good teams that can beat you if you don't come up. So it's a it's a testament to Kentucky that they have gone two and zero so far, but it's also the reality of if you don't show up every night, you can lose just about any game on this schedule. You really can. I grew up in Middle Tennessee in Murfreesboro, and for the longest time, I had no idea Tennessee had a men's basketball team. Uh, wow! I knew about the Lady Vols. Didn't know. Sure. About, didn't know about the guys, and so I grew up a Kentucky fan because my dad hated Vanderbilt, so I couldn't cheer <laughs> for them. So uh, that's what I grew up a Kentucky fan. And now to see that Tennessee is one of the top teams in the nation is just blows my mind to see where they've come, where they're going. And they've done it, it seems like, primarily with those, you know, not top tier recruits necessarily, not bad players, but uh, they've been able to bring them in to, to work with them, to grow them. And now they've got them for a couple of years and can do something with them. A testament to them for sure. Uh, I'm a huge Nate Oates fan. My claim to fame is Nate Oates' dad taught one of my Bible classes in college. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if my brother-in-law played football with him actually in college, but anyways, awesome. uh, none of that matters because he won't return any of my messages. So <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about the other, other basketball teams in the nation. Gonzaga, they sure look for real uh, Baylor. I don't know a whole lot about Baylor. Uh, what about those, those top two teams? Um, do you like, uh, do you see them succeeding going forward? Are they legit championship contenders? So it's wild. I'll tell you about Baylor uh, because somebody asked me about them. First of all, it's crazy in this world that we live in. They're 10 and 0. And I believe only two of their games have been on national TV at this point, which in 2021, now 2021, is just absolutely insane. You know, we all know the deal. They were supposed to play uh, Gonzaga. They were supposed to play Villanova. So many of their games got canceled. They just filled in where they could. Um, but I'll tell you this. How about this first stat? Because this blew my mind when I saw it. Baylor, Baylor has played 10 games. They have six players on their roster have taken at least 23 pointers this season, attempted 23 pointers, which means there are six players who have attempted at least two, three pointers a game. All six players are shooting at least 
40% from the three-point line. And so that's what you need. To, I just I just found – I'm not claiming to be some uh, – I, I think I know a lot about college basketball, but I learned that one myself when I looked up some stuff this afternoon. So it's um, – they're, they're special, man. And, you know, they were good enough to win it last year. You know, I, I think everybody – they caught everybody by surprise. But really, they lost one key uh, low-post player, and I was wondering – I knew the guards would be good, but would they get enough interior play? And I think they're getting just enough interior play – all the guards are better. This was a team that won 22 games last year, didn't lose a single game in the months of January or December, and I think they're better this year. I think they're better this year. I do think they're the biggest challenger to Gonzaga. Um, I think, you know, as, as people start to kind of wrap their heads around college basketball the next few months, I think three things are going to stand out. I think they're going to see that the Blue Bloods are struggling. Um, maybe Kentucky is getting on the right track, and maybe by the time people look up and, and you know the end of the Super Bowl, Kentucky will be you know nine and seven, and all of a sudden they'll be in a much better place. But you know I don't think Duke's getting any better overnight. They they barely beat Boston College, and North Carolina has two really close wins in their last two ACC games. Um, so I think one is going to be that. I think two, I do think Gonzaga and Baylor have separated themselves from the pack. And I think three, the Gonzaga going into the tournament undefeated talk is real. Um, And I don't know how you feel living in that SEC country, but I feel like for the first time, people that are power, you know, fans of power conference teams are bought into the Zags. They saw what Gonzaga did against Iowa, the preseason Big Ten favorite. They saw what they did against Kansas, uh, who's always elite. They saw what they did against Virginia. Um, and I think people are really bought in. So to me, those are going to be the three big storylines with obviously two of them involving Gonzaga, another one, Baylor. Um, but but I, I do think Gonzaga, Baylor, one, two, and then there's a little bit of a gap after that. Let me ask you about two teams you've talked about on your podcast. Uh, let's start with Texas, Shaka Smart. Um, I've got a friend on the radio here in Lexington. He is not a Shaka Smart fan at all. Uh, likes to bash him a fair amount. Texas looks pretty solid this year, and they've not had a whole lot of respect up, up until this point. Uh, you're, I, I didn't know I hosted a radio show in, in Lexington because that sounds like me for the past uh, four or five years. Look, you know, the guy's recruited well, but he hasn't won. And, you know, this is just a, a half-baked theory of mine, but I think there's some merit to it. If there was no pandemic, I don't think he'd be back this year, and I'll tell you why. We saw this weekend with Texas football – their AD kind of operates in in the shadows, and you know he doesn't give you that pink slip until he's got somebody with boxes ready to move into your office. And the fact that it took three weeks for Texas to make a statement that Shaka Smart was coming back in 2021 leads me to believe that they beat around the bushes and they were just having trouble making a hire in the middle of a pandemic last offseason. But credit to him. They bring back a lot of guys. They bring back veterans that have been in the program. And it's a, it's a, it's a constant conversation in college basketball. It's a constant conversation in Kentucky with John Calipari. But those guys have developed in that program. They've taken lumps in that program. Um, and you look ahead to where they are now. Um, you know, this kid named Matt Coleman is their point guard. He's a fourth-year senior. Courtney Ramey's a third-year junior. Andrew Jones, who for people who don't remember, unfortunately, you know, had a bout with leukemia. He's recovered. He's playing. He's a fourth year junior. You know, those are the he might even be a fifth year senior. I can't even remember. But, you know, those are the kinds of guys that you need in your program to have success. And so, you know, they, they started to trend in the right direction late last season. Um, 
and they're there now. They're there now. Now the, the schedule is going to get tougher, but they just won by 25 at uh, you know at, at Allen Fieldhouse, and I do think they're probably the second best team in the Big 12. Now, will they finish there? Will they finish you know number four, five, six, seven, eight in the country? I don't know, but you know that's a team that you know we talk about what the NCAA tournament will look like. What is a Final Four run when you're playing on neutral courts? Um, and you just have to come out locked in for six games in a row where there's probably not going to be very many fans in the stands outside of your parents. You know, that's a team that, you know, they, they could get hot as a three seed. And, and, you know, if they get the right number one, they could be in a final four. And it's so weird to talk about the final four, knowing what it's going to look like. But, um, you know, it's, it's not the traditional final four run, but that's a team that can absolutely get there. You talked about a team on the podcast that dropped uh, today, Thursday, uh, Michigan. Jawan Howard and the things that he's doing at Michigan kind of going unnoticed under the radar at the moment. Uh, what do you like about Michigan, and is this something that's going to be consistent moving forward for Jawan Howard? Yeah, they're one. Um, I think they're a real microcosm of college basketball this year, where I think college basketball has been hurt a little bit by the start-stop nature. You don't know who's playing when. The Maui Invitational isn't in Maui, so the casual fan, it's hard to wrap your head around the Maui Invitational in North Carolina in an empty gym. And Michigan, I think, is a microcosm of it. You know, they, they had to play Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, excuse me, New Year's Eve. Um, you know, they didn't play in the ACC Big Ten Challenge because it was canceled because of COVID. And all of a sudden you look up and they're 10-0 and 5-0 and and in the Big Ten. Now, they haven't played those other elite Big Ten teams, Wisconsin, Iowa, even Rutgers, Illinois. Um, but I think they're really, really, really good. And what's interesting about them is two things. One, in this era where we know about all these freshmen, they have a freshman big guy named Hunter Dickinson who's been awesome. But two, you know, I give Juwan Howard a ton of credit because you look at college basketball this year, most of the programs that are having a ton of success, Iowa, Illinois, Rutgers, Baylor, Gonzaga, um, Texas, Kansas, it's a lot of teams that return a lot of players from last year. Michigan returns some, but they have a couple grad transfers, they have a couple freshmen, and they do have a couple returnees, but they lost two of the most important players and at least one in program history, Xavier Simpson, who was one of the best point guards in college basketball last year. So I give him so much credit. It's early. They haven't played the bulk of their the meat of their schedule in terms of the toughest games in the Big Ten. But that's a team. That's another one. They just do what they do. They play great defense. They rebound the ball. What I've noticed more than anything this year, I just really like the teams that don't beat themselves. Wisconsin, Tennessee. And maybe it's because I have to watch every Kentucky game as part of my coverage with KSR is, you know, you watch enough Kentucky games where they dribble it off their foot and they jack up a three with, you know, two seconds left on the shot clock. You know, you appreciate the teams like Wisconsin, like uh, Michigan, that that just do the things you're supposed to, take care of the basketball, don't turn it over, hit open jump shots. Um, and I think Kentucky's getting there, so that was a little bit of a cheap shot at Kentucky. But that kind of stuff stands out, and Michigan's one of those teams, veteran team that doesn't beat themselves. One more thing for you. How is the uh, name and likeness going to affect recruiting and the parity of college basketball? I don't think parity is as big of a deal. I think the transfer portal is going to be a huge factor, though. You know, we saw a second uh, McDonald's All-American, uh, one from Oscar Shibway, who Kentucky fans know well, but then Damari Burnett, who was a McDonald's All-American last year, just entered today. 
Um, and it's funny. I, I first noticed this, you know, Eric Musselman, who's the head coach at Arkansas, uh, when he was at Nevada, he went to a sweet 16 and they were this great underdog story. And they had a starting lineup that had two guards that began their career at NC state and one that started his career at Purdue. And when you have three guys that are, are, are power five caliber players, I don't know that you're the traditional underdog in the sense that we think of a, a, a 13 seed or a 12 seed. I think they were a 10 seed that year. They're, they're not the way that you think of those teams. And so I think the transfer portal is going to be the great equalizer, not just at that lower and mid-major level, but as a way for the teams like we see in the SEC, Arkansas to quickly upgrade their roster, Alabama, a quick way to upgrade their roster, um, you know, uh, uh, Texas A&M, Auburn, whoever, where, you know, you, you, you can get some guys that you might not have been able to get out of high school. And then all of a sudden, if Kentucky's starting four freshmen and you got three upperclassmen and one of them was a McDonald's All-American, you, you know, it, it's a difference. It matters. And so, by the way, I'll give John Calipari credit, too, because I think he finally understands it. I'll tell you, you know, a story that I, I haven't shared on my podcast yet, but I probably will is I reached out to this, uh, you know, I, I mentioned to a staff member at Kentucky about three years ago, a high major transfer that I thought knew wanted to transfer to, back to the SEC, ACC portion of the country. And I thought could help Kentucky. And he just said, Cal doesn't do transfers. And so, and this is a kid that's contributing big time right now. And I won't say the kid's name or what school or even the conference, but just Cal didn't do transfers two, three years ago. And so to see him come full circle, I mentioned Oscar Shibway. Kentucky's going to be in the mix for him. Um, I, I give Calipari credit, but I think it's going to be an equalizer. With the name, image, likeness stuff, I don't know that it's going to matter as much as people think. I think to me, I think it'll impact basket. I think it'll impact football more, excuse me, than basketball. Because basketball, the best players, they still, at the end of the day, as long as the one-and-done rule is in place, they want to come to the place that can get them to the NBA as fast as possible. And that's still going to be Kentucky. That's still going to be Duke. That's still going to be Carolina. And, yeah, you're going to have the outliers like an Anthony Edwards, like a Darius Garland, like a Ben Simmons. But I still think the vast majority are going to go to, again, the UCLA's, Kentucky's, North Carolina's, whomever's. Um, and so I, I don't know that name image likeness is going to have as big of an effect on basketball as it will football. But I do think the transfer portal is an X factor where you use the word parity. And I think we're going to see a lot flatter of a surface in college basketball where you're just not going to have those teams from even six or seven or eight years ago that have that group of upperclassmen and then have the, the, the underclassmen below them that are willing to sit on the bench and learn and buy their time. I just don't know that that's going to be the case going forward. All right. Thank you. This is Aaron Torres. You can find him on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. Find him on Instagram at Aaron Torres pod and on YouTube, Aaron Torres and the host of the Aaron Torres podcast. I am a subscriber and a listener. Oh man. I enjoy How's the, the show going. Is it okay? I was doing so much football and I just feel like there's nothing in basketball to talk about other than Kentucky right now. Still a good <laughs> listen. I'm okay with talking about it. Yeah. No, it's been great. I've enjoyed it. I like the guests you have on and yes. and, uh, and appreciate that. And it's all, for me, I personally love interviews. I love listening and hearing yes. things from, from uh, different angles and different perspectives and things like that. And uh, so that's always a good time to listen for sure. I, I will tell you, as we get into the new year, there will be more interviews. I had a few people, how come you don't do any more interviews? Well, nobody wants to do anything extra around the holidays. I'm sorry I couldn't get a, uh, 
Chris Beard or John Calipari the day before Christmas. Forgive me, people. But uh, yeah, man, no, it's it's a fun show. And, and I appreciate support from people like you, man, because, you know, I work really we all work hard. I'm not saying I work hard because I want to pat on the back, but I love doing what I do. And I just want to say I couldn't do it without the support of people like you, Vince. So thank you. Thank you for giving me your platform to kind of share some of what I do. And who knows, hopefully a couple, you know, we, we trade, you know, hopefully a couple people find out about me through you. Hopefully a couple people find out about you through me, whatever. But I appreciate your support. I really do. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you didn't have to do it. So I sure appreciate that as well and your kindness today and all the input that you had also. All right, Vince. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.